0: I am your host, Brad Roland. It is deep into the night here on Sunday evening into Monday morning, and I am back, uh, at least sort of back. I've just, i wish my body now is in Atlanta. I'm not sure my brain is just yet, but uh, joining me today to sort of bridge the gap between my, uh, my travel state and my home state is the, the great Jeff Siegel. What's up, man?
1: I'm doing well. I'm, I have not been traveling. I've been watching basketball, and so I'm here to, to help out and give some color to, uh, to what we saw.
0: Yeah, uh, just full disclosure, as I said the last couple games, I have not been in my normal viewing, note-taking, deep-dive habits. So uh, Jeff is graciously joining me to sort of get through this particular game on Sunday because I was uh, still in travel mode and had quite a travel day on uh, on this fine Sunday. So, But here we are. I wanted to break it down a little bit and get your Monday morning commute ready. So here we are. Yeah, you know, the Hawks get a, a one twenty three to one eighteen win over the Bulls, which we are going to talk plenty about, but I want to hit on one news thing before we get to the actual game itself. And that's the fact that Amari Spellman is gonna be out for at least four weeks, and as a result of that, might miss the rest of the season considering where we are in the calendar, because you know, it's March fourth four weeks from now put you into early April or so, Uh, maybe I guess guess late March potentially, but that's even just the reevaluation timeline, which is always important to note. This is not a projection for him to be back in four weeks, but only to be reviewed in four weeks. So, high ankle sprain, Uh, I know you saw this play live, I did not, I I, I did see the replay after the fact, but, you know, Spellman missed this game, obviously, but, you know, long term, you know, I I think for me, at least, I'm assuming that he's going to be gone for the season, the Hawks have not said that, but it just sort of stands to reason, in my opinion, that you don't want to push that guy um, back any, time, any sooner than he needs to be back. And you know, a young player, especially, probably see him back for summer league. Or do you think it's? I guess it's possible, obviously, that he comes back. But what was your reaction upon seeing this news uh, earlier in the day on Sunday?
1: I think it, it makes sense that it would take him a little bit longer to to get back. I think that you know they they they'll have a few games down the end of the year between the, his four week timetable and the actual end of the season. But that's just like you said. That's just the reevaluation timeline. So, you know, whether he – it would surprise me if we see him again on a basketball court before we before we see him in Las Vegas or Utah or wherever they end up for their first summer league game. Um, You know, there's there's no – the G League season ends in, like, the middle of March. So there's no way for them to, like, send him down for a few days and then have him come back up and maybe play the last two or three games of the season for the Hawks. So, you know, there's no – that that's not an op- – you know, they don't have that opportunity. And, you know, I think if they – you know if they suffer a bunch of injuries elsewhere on you know in their their power forward you know rotation then maybe they try to get him back out there for a couple games just to have some semblance of normalcy but you know it's it seems it seems likely that he's he's done for the year only because the four-week timetable is just for a re-evaluation, and then he may have another sit whatever if he has another week then you know there's only a week left of the year there's about six weeks left of the year now a little bit less than that and uh so it's it's it seems likely at least full strength Amari Spellman. We've probably seen the last of that this season.
0: Yeah, it's certainly possible that he could be back. And, you know, the Hawks, the season finale is actually on April 10th. And that game comes after two days rest. Um, and we, it'd be kind of weird to see him play one game and not play more than that. But it's just sort of a delicate, weird time frame because it's just enough time where he could come back. But also as much as the Hawks have exercised caution in the past with injuries, it feels likely to me that he's not going to be playing the rest of the season. They did not say that. This is not part of the announcement. This is us interpreting the announcement to some degree. But, um, I mean, we could sort of move on from that, other than the fact that, you know, if this is the end of Spellman, I think in general it's probably a positive rookie year for him. Uh, I, candidly on this podcast, was not a huge fan of that draft pick. I know I've said that a few times. I think he's been a little bit better than I expected him to be. Do you think, um, you know, you know, through through the prism of the number thirty overall pick in the draft, our questions about him, especially before the season started, was it a successful rookie season? If this is it for Mars Spellman, I think it kind of was, uh, at least when compared to our expectations.
1: Yeah, I mean, our expectations were relatively low. You know, you and I were in in lockstep on the fact that there were two, three, four, five other guys that we would have liked to see the Hawks uh, take at, at thirty before Spellman. But given that our expectations were relatively low given that he was the number 30 pick and the expectations for that slot in general are relatively low. I think it was a pretty positive rookie year. I mean, he he has the the outline of some skills that are interesting, the dribble pass shoot that Schlenk always talks about, of course, and the the effort level as well is there if even if the the intelligence sometimes wane, you know waxes and wanes and of course the the fact that he's a little bit overweight has has made the the rookie year a little bit more difficult you know that's part of this this injury thing as well is that he got injured early in the year and then came back 15 20 pounds overweight is that going to happen again did he learn from that we'll see you know we'll 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 know a lot about sort of how he interpreted that uh that first go around on the on the injury you know on the on the injury table on the training table whether he can you know keep that weight off while he's you know rehabbing this ankle injury the ankle you know you know an ankle injury is not the easiest thing to have in order to keep off weight, because you can't run on it, obviously. And so, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how he can how he can handle that. Whether you know, whether he can keep it off all off season before we see him in in uh, in July. And you know, there's four months between now and and the early July when we're when when we're going to see him in Vegas. That's you know, we're gonna we should hopefully be able to learn quite a bit about how he's going to be as a as a and a and an how he's going to be as an NBA player, whether he can, you know, whether he can keep the weight off, whether he can take more weight off with the off season, whether he can add some more, you know, some more nuance, some more skill to his game. So, you know, I think it's, it's interesting. It's going to be, you know, a a smart, uh, he can be smart about how he uses these four months between now and summer league, or even just these few weeks between now and the next time we we see him on the floor. But, you know, it's, it's, sort of the elephant in the room to to talk about how this will affect his weight because it's, but it's happened before where he got injured and he put on a bunch of weight. And so, you know, we'll see how, how you know, how he fares in that in that regard.
0: Yep, I agree. And uh, we will, you know, certainly monitor that situation. If he is looking like he's going to be back, we'll talk more about that later on. But for now, we'll sort of leave that topic and get into the game at hand that took place on Sunday afternoon. So I mentioned before the Hawks get a win here as sort of a, I guess a quote unquote revenge win after the loss earlier in the weekend and the back to back. Always love a good home home road back to back against the same team. Always fun. Um, Let's just start at the top with, um, I don't know, let's just let's go to, I guess, the injury fallout from Spellman and, and the way that it, that it sort of affected the rotation in this game. We're going to save Trey for the middle part of this podcast. That is coming, I promise. We're going to talk about Trey Young, as we always do on this podcast. But in this game, Lloyd Pierce elected to start Alex Lynn and uh, Dwayne Debbin together. Which was interesting. obviously John Collins did not play with flu-like symptoms. Um, that's not a, it wasn't a huge surprise when he missed this game, given where he was. Um, you know, I, I guess he was listed as doubtful before the game started. So no huge surprise there. But Devin and Lynn, obviously the team's to, I guess de facto rotation centers. But if you think about it, you know, Vince Carter played a ton of minutes on Friday. No Mari Spellman, no John Collins. It made some sense to me, but what did you see from, from that look? Really? And obviously, Alex Len has a huge game with 28 points, a career high for Alex Len, with 28-9. and nine. Devin had a double-double as well. So obviously, I guess it, quote-unquote, worked. And I guess it's important to note that Chicago plays pretty big. You know, Laurie Marketing's playing the four for them. So that kind of gives you some of the reason why that, that would be the case. But what did you see from that outlook, and um, did that make sense to you?
1: Yeah, I think it made sense only because, like, they had so few big men. And so you just start the two best big guys and just hope it works out. And with Len you know, going five for eight from three, it worked out. You know, that's the that's the way it it was gonna if he went one for eight, they probably lose this game because he's you know, he they they don't the the Bulls don't have to respect him as much. They weren't really respecting him anyway, but that's why he was so open. That's why you can make five of those those eight three pointers. And so, you know, I think it was interesting to see them start out big. They only went they only went big at the start of the first and third quarters. Otherwise, they staggered the their two centers throughout most of the game. And then, you know, Alex Poitras played a little bit of center, um, you know, at, at certain points in that game. So, you know, I, I think it was, it was smart to get the two like, when in doubt, put the two best big guys out there together. And as long as you can make it work, I don't think you can make this work against every team. But like you said, you know, the the Bulls play big with Markinen and Lopez to start first and third quarters. And then sort of things get a little bit different after that as everybody gets into their bench. So it, it was a fine thing to do. It's not something that they would, pr- you know, particularly want to do against every team. But, you know, with Dwayne Edmonds positional flexibility in the way he can guard multiple positions. He can guard most power forwards throughout the league at this point. You know, it's certainly he's not guarding like Kevin Durant or LeBron James, but he can <laughs> right. guard Lowry marketing. He can guard Kelly Olynyk and they're in their game against, uh, against Miami on, on Monday night. So like if they have to go to this again, because if Collins is, you know, doesn't make the flight down to Miami and he's not available. And of course, Spellman won't be available either. Maybe they go with Deadman again. You know, it's not, it's not ideal. You'd rather have a sort of a, a more traditional four there, but you know, it's it's. I think it's it worked out fine because of the way that both Len and Deadman are flexible offensively, and Deadman in particular is flexible defensively.
0: For sure, and that's um, something that I actually kind of poked around about early in the year when John Collins was not playing. Of using those guys together sometimes in certain matchups, and Pierce didn't seem to want to do it then. But he's done it a few times this year. It's been it's been sporadic and with good reason. When those guys are your two centers, you don't love playing them together. But in this game, it made a lot of sense, and uh, it actually ended up working out. Um, I guess behind them rotationally, you know, your your uh, your large adult son Alex Poythor, has got some time here. He was recalled on Sunday, um, I guess in preparation for Spellman being gone, and obviously Collins being um, sick under, under, under the weather, Poitras played a lot of minutes in this game, and kind of hilariously, before we get to Poitras, and I'm going to let you tee off on him, as you always do, no one played more than 27 minutes in this game for the Hawks, which is interesting, because it wasn't it wasn't a back-to-back in the truest sense. You know, they played Friday night. I guess it, it was a very quick turnaround, though. It was a Sunday afternoon game, and obviously, the Friday night game was not traditional in any way. It was an absolute marathon. So... I guess it's not a huge surprise, but they definitely limited minutes here and that kind of opened the door for uh, Poythress to get a lot of time and he looked fine.
1: Yeah, I mean he looked fine like he you know, for me, like he normally does. Like whenever he <laughs> whenever he comes up and plays like it's always he, I never worry about like oh, like what are they going how are how is the other team going to attack him other than, you know, you would like him to to shoot the three a little bit better, but you know, he was he was fine from there. He, you know, 9 points, 5 boards, 3 assists, a steal, a block save two save two transition baskets of just like just out of pure effort like just getting back and and being there and you know forced to turn over and block the shot so like you know he he he's he was my my pick as the the backup power forward coming into the year and obviously that hasn't, you know, quite panned out with the way that Spellman has sort of progressed a little bit faster than we expected. The way that Vince Carter has not been just like a player coach, like Vince Carter's actually been a, a relatively, you know, strong part of of the rotation and you know certainly at, at times he can get played off the floor because he's, you know, 42 years old, but at, you know, at other times he has been, you know, really solid for them. And so, you know, I thought that Poitras was going to have more of a, an opportunity all year. He's made the most of the, the opportunities he's been given, uh, especially, you know, tonight against the Bulls. You know, he was able to, when he played small ball center, they won those minutes. It was only a few minutes, but they they were plus one in the minutes that he, you know, was was playing, you know, small ball center with Dedman and Len both on the bench. And, you know, he's able to play the four and the five. He can, he can sort of fluctuates between a lot of different positions defensively you know if he can if he can shoot he can give a lot of effort he can get out and transition offensively that's you know that's what you're sort of looking for from a a backup power forward like that
0: yeah for sure and you know it's um it's interesting. I I've, I kind of like Poitras too, not as much as you do, I don't think, but the fact that he's not played as much um, recently, I guess it's, it does make sense because of the fact that Spellman's been playing the four so much, and Poitras has sort of been the odd man out, but he's uh, someone who they could certainly play and not get embarrassed with. That's kind of the thing, with, especially with, without Collins. I think w- when Collins comes back, which is going to happen soon, whether it's Monday or later... Um, I'll be interested to see if they keep Poitras around, a and if they do, whether whether he takes the Spellman minutes um, for for the rest of the stretch where Spellman is gone. If if not, I'll be interested to see what they do with those minutes. But um, yeah, Poitras is uh, not, good to see him play at least and play pretty well here. I know you were happy about that as you uh, as you always are. Um, I want to hit on the on the starting wings real quick, just briefly here. Um, Kevin Herter had an interesting game, a good game I thought, and Kent Bazemore. Wasn't fantastic, but uh, he made some shots for the first time in, what, three games? Yeah, Bazemore kind of – we talked about it on the last time that you were on with me um, when he went over 12 against <laughs> against Minnesota. Um, the Chicago game, he was he was 1 of 8. So he had a stretch where he, I think he was like 1 of 23 from the floor. So I kind of just want to mention that Bazemore was, A, awful for about two and a half games, and B, a little bit better in this game.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was fine. He was still – still struggled a little bit early and then had a flurry of buckets late, which are you know if you're gonna have them you might as Bra- well Breaking yeah.
0: out of the slump of of sorts, i suppose,
1: yeah, breaking out of a slump in crunch time of a game that they you know not necessarily needed because you know none of the, the the wins and losses don't matter that much, but you know in a in a crunch time situation, it was nice to see him come up with i think it was five big points in in the fourth quarter or three in and a and a layup so that was nice, just because we haven't seen that Kent Bazemore in like a week and a half or maybe a week. You know, it's been a, it's been a little bit of a rough stretch for him. And you know, other than that, he was fine. He was he was flying around a little bit defensively. So you know, I think it was uh, it was good. He he played better than he has the last couple of games. It's still not as well as we're sort of used to from from Bazemore. And then Herter, of course, was I thought he was better than his stat line sort of indicated. You know, the the twelve points on five for nine you know, 0-2 from the line, which, you know, those two free throws were the the ones down the end that almost sort of let the Bulls back into the game. They were up three. He went to the line with like 20 seconds left and, and bricked both free throws. It, it worked out, of course, because the 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 Bulls missed their their next opportunity and Bazemore was able to hit, I think, one of two and, and it worked out. But of course, you know, you, you didn't know that at the time and it was unfortunate to see Herter, who played a, a a pretty solid overall floor game. Missed those two free throws. You know he had, uh, you know, three assists, two steals, no turnovers. Was plus eight in a game they won by five. So they won his minutes. You know, and and they were worse with him sort of off the floor. And so you know, I think it was the most interesting thing to me from Herder in this game was the 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 four minute stretch at the beginning of the fourth quarter when. After and we'll talk about Trey Young. After Trey Young got ejected with nine minutes left in the in the third quarter, they went with Adams the rest of the way in the third quarter. But they they took him out for the first four minutes of the fourth and then put Adams back in for the last eight minutes of the game. So those first four minutes, you've got no point guard on the floor, and it was Herder and, and DeAndre Bembry who sort of split the the ball the primary ball handler duties. You know, the, since they're you know obviously they're not going to play Adams the entire second half after after Young got ejected. So I think you know it was interesting to see what, where is Herder, where is Benbury, you know, where are these guys as the, as a primary ball handler? And Bembry, we know a little bit more about where he is as a primary ball handler. You know, it's it's difficult for him because he can't, he's not a threat to really pull up and shoot from anywhere at all pretty much he's he's either getting to the rim or he's passing the ball which allows teams to play off of him a lot more and and get into passing lanes and that's where a lot of his turnovers come from and he rushes things and doesn't have the best handle so we know what DeAndre Bembry sort of is in that primary ball handler role it hasn't gone super well for the Hawks when he's you know when they've given him that those responsibilities but Herter we haven't seen a ton of him as as a primary guy for for in, you know in these lineups, and so it was really interesting to see you know where you know what can he do. And he was, I thought he was he was very solid. I think they they were plus six in the in the those four minutes that Herder and Bembry shared the the point guard responsibilities at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Obviously, that's against the the Bulls backup unit, but you know the fact that Herder and and to an extent Bembry, but you know Herder in particular for this stretch the fact that he was able to create reliable offense even just against backup players on a bad team that's a, n- a nice positive sign for for him he had a great uh great assist to deadman for a layup pulled up for, for three in, in pick and roll had a cross court you know one of those not quite a trey young assist but you know a from one wing to the opposite corner uh assist to to Porthyrs for a three so you know it was he played really well he was in, in especially in those you know those those few minutes where he was the guy you know I think that's the the ultimate ceiling on Herder to me is still Bradley Beal like we look at what Bradley Beal can do as an offensive player the fact that he can shoot the fact that he can spot up come off of screens but also take you know take the ball take the reins of an offense and and distribute and play and pick and roll and pull up for shots off the dribble and get to the rim a little bit and and pass really well I think that's Ultimately, if Herter hits every bit of his offensive ceiling, that's where the Bradley Beal comparisons come in. And, you know, for a rookie playing, you know, as a as the primary ball handler for these few minutes, he looked kind of Bradley Bealish. ish you know, the pull-up three off the off the dribble and pick and roll, the two assists to Deadman and Poitras. like there are, you know, significant re- there's significant reason to be, you know, very positive about Herter's future based on just that little four minute stretch.
0: For sure. Uh two two things here that I want to get your opinion on about Herter, then we'll move on. One of which is positive and the other one is um maybe negative. Um somebody asked, I can't remember who it was on Twitter today, um, whether Kevin Herter is the second best passer on the team right now. And I, I said yes. Do you think do you think he's the second best passer on the team?
1: Yeah. Uh, not Yeah, it's too. not I don't even think it's it's super close. Like I'm not sure who else would even really be in that in that upper tier conversation, especially I mean I guess big man passing is a little bit different. And we've seen some of the big men have a little bit more touch, you know, throw in stationary passes from the elbow to cutters and stuff, but that's a little bit different than what the the guards are doing and what the perimeter guys are doing. Of the perimeter players, he's definitely the second best guy behind Trey.
0: That's what I thought. I just want to get your opinion on that. And second thing is, do you worry that he doesn't get to the line at all? Like he's still f- like I think sub fifty attempts for the entire season. As a relatively full-time player, you know, he only, got, he only got there twice in this game, missed them both, obviously in a big moment, which kind of prompted me to look at this. A, I don't really worry about his making the free throws. I think he's like 75% for the season, which is lower than you think it would be for a great shooter like he is. But do you worry that he doesn't get to the line? Because I know part of that's just that he's not real strong right now, but he needs to do that at some point.
1: Yeah. And then these two free throws were not like drive to the basket and get fouled. This was an intentional foul at the end of the game because Chicago was trying to come back. So he really, he didn't get to the line in a traditional manner at all. He just happened to get intentionally fouled. Um, you know, I think it's, it's something to monitor. It's not necessarily something because of the way his role is sort of set up. He doesn't get to the basket a ton. He doesn't, you know, he, he's more of an outside threat. And so, you know, you're going to, not get to the line as much as an outside threat. It would be nice if he were to, you know, push that forward a little bit and start to drive a little more, get to the rim a little bit more, and then he will he will get fouled as sort of a, a natural consequence of that. I don't look at him, you know, just from what I remember as part of the, the eye test, I guess. I don't think of him as somebody who tries to sort of contort themselves to avoid contact. He's not necessarily scared of contact or anything. You know, I think it would be interesting to, to sort of weight his weight his free throw attempts against how many drives per game he has. So like if you had a, you know, foul attempts per drive per game or whatever, some sort of metric like that that controls for the fact that he's more of an outside threat that he spends a lot of time outside the three-point line doesn't necessarily come inside the three-point line very much with the ball in his hand, so he's not going to draw a ton of those kind of fouls. You know, I think that might show a little bit more about, you know, whether he's he's getting to the line as a you know, as a as a proportion of his overall drives, but I'm not I'm not you know just sitting here. I'm not sure if that uh, if that's the case. It doesn't seem like he avoids contact around the rim or will stop short and throw up floaters as a way to to not get fouled. He shouldn't be scared of getting fouled in terms of going to the line because he's hitting relatively well from there. And I'm sure he's he should be confident in his you know in his free throw stroke. So it's not like he's you know Rajon Rondo where he would go out of his way not to get fouled because he shoots 45 percent from the line or whatever. So you know he's doing fine there it's I don't think it's it's anything like that I just think it's part of his role on this team is not necessarily as many drives to the rim which is you know where you draw most of your fouls.
0: yep that makes complete sense and I wanted to at least touch on that because I didn't I mean I, I knew he didn't get to line a whole lot and then I, I was kind of just jarred by how how little it's been this year when I was looking at stuff to prep for this podcast so Uh, That makes sense um, across the board. Okay, Uh, we'll be back in a a quick moment after this short break to talk about Trey Young and much more. But I wanted to take a moment to remind everyone to subscribe to this podcast, the Locked On Hawks podcast, on whichever podcast platform that you want to listen to, uh, or multiple if you want to go ahead and do that. Leave five-star feedback. If you like the podcast, please tell your friends as well. Check out And check out the entire Locked On podcast network. But uh, a quick break is on the way here, and we'll be back again with Jeff right after this. All right, Jeff, we're back, and um, let's go to Troy Young now, because um, it's interesting. He only played 18 minutes in this game, and there was a reason for that. Um, let's talk about his play first, and then we'll go to the ejection um, and interesting stuff from that after that. So, on the court, um, pre-ejection, 18 minutes, 18 points, which is obviously good, 5 assists, plus 11, 6-9 from the floor, 3-4 from 3. Uh, he's still unconscious. I mean, it wasn't like the numbers, they don't look as good because he got ejected, but um there's no signs of slowing down right now for Trey Young, who's been outrageous. Obviously, I've not talked to you in this form um, since the 4 t Bulls game, but this game he he kind of had it going again. So, is this ever going to stop, Jeff? Is he just going to average 35 points a game for the rest of his career?
1: Uh, I mean, probably not. But you can't <laughs> tell me for sure that it's not going to happen that way. I mean, you can't you you don't know that. You just assume based on. Every piece of, of basketball history we've ever seen, that he's not going to be a 30-point a, a game scorer for the rest of his life. But he has been playing, you know, extremely well. He was playing very well in this game. You know, started out that third quarter very hot in the first you know, first three minutes before he got ejected, two and a half minutes, I think he got ejected with about nine minutes and, and 20 seconds left in the third quarter, you know, th- so through two and a half minutes, he had two threes and, and an assist to another, for to Len for another three, so he created nine points, obviously then, you know, got ejected after the, the three that he, you know, stared at Chris Dunn and made Chris Dunn feel bad about himself, so that warranted an ejection for reasons that aren't super clear, but, uh, you know, apparently that's taunting. Apparently you're allowed to celebrate, but you can't target somebody on the other team. That was what the the referee told the pool reporter after the game. It's not, you know, I think it was something that, you know, the the young and, and Dunn had had a little bit of a dust up in the first quarter, a little bit of pushing. I think, you know, Dunn got in, in Trey's face for for shooting the ball after the whistle, which is something that happens literally all the time. And you know, Trey pushed him and Dunn pushed back. And so they both got double tees in the first quarter. So you can understand a little bit that the referees, you know, were trying to curtail any sort of action between those two guys in particular. This was, I mean, for me, obviously, like it was sort of, it's because it was his second technical, like you have to be a little bit more wary of the fact that, you know, it wasn't a pushing and shoving match. It, there was nothing going on. Dunn didn't even see it. Like Dunn was turned around going back to his bench and Trey was just staring at the back of his head. So, you know, it was it was unfortunate. It's not something that, you know, we should really harp on. It's not like this is something that, you know, is, is a problem for Trey. It's not like he's Kent Bazemore where he picks up a technical foul every 15 minutes. You know, it's something that he's, it happened. He's going to play with that sort of fire and that sort of confidence. And when he's going at Chris Dunn for now, like, Two full games because of the the whole all the overtimes on Friday plus a half of Sunday's game, and then he makes three ridiculously good plays at the beginning of the quarter. You know he was he was giving it to him a little bit, and it's fine. It's something that you know I I'm perfectly fine with the the fire that he plays with, and you know if it happens that he gets a technical every once in a while, it's not a big deal.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, we can talk about that. It's just. I mean, it's it's so clearly ridiculous that he was ejected from this game. I think everyone noticed that. It wasn't like that was a, a local angle, like a Hawks based angle. Everyone nationally kind of had the same reaction, including people that were covering the Bulls. Locally, were like kind of perplexed as to why he was ejected. It was clear that the stare down was a stare down, but that's like a very normal NBA thing. It's definitely, I guess, it's taunting in the in the purest form. If you want to just take the extreme example of that, but. Yeah, it was it was an, it was a crazy ejection, and I think if you're if if you're an official, for better or worse, you need to know that that's going to be a second technical foul. Like you can't give him that technical foul, um, in that spot. Um, but yeah, nothing to worry about there at all. Even Chris Dunn said that he shouldn't have got ejected, so no no. Obviously, they had some beef during the game. In fact, Dunn definitely did more than Young did. You know, Young Dunn had like the shove to Young's head in the first half, which was. Which earned them the double tactical fouls, but I think Dunn did more to get ejected than Young Young did in this game.
1: Yeah, I Um, mean, Young apparently... So I heard from people who were in the arena that Young pushed pushed Dunn first. It was not an angle that we saw. I never saw a replay that showed Young doing anything physical.
0: Yeah, neither did I. I missed that too.
1: But apparently... That was the that was what happened from the people who saw it you know live and obviously they don't have to rely on replay because they were there. Um, that's all that that's all that I can go on. I didn't see that personally. I just have heard that in the pushing and shoving at the beginning in the first quarter that Young started the the push. Bear, I mean maybe just you know because they had to go against each other to get to their bench in the first quarter. They were maybe that's, you know, maybe Trey ran into him a little bit or gave him a shoulder or whatever, you know, how that can go sometimes. And then Dunn lashed out maybe a little bit more and then, you know, the 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 double tees in the first quarter I mean, you could easily have let that go and just be like, "Hey guys, like, calm the hell down." Or but it, you know, it, also,
0: it also happens though. That was a yeah, very that's like fine. normal thing that happens. Yeah, so.
1: when they came out of the timeout and it was double T's, it was like, "All right, that's normal. Like, that's fine. It's you know a cop out because somebody has to be wrong." <laughs> but if you're not gonna, if you're gonna have the rule that nobody, that somebody doesn't have to be wrong, then fine, whatever, it's fine. Um, but it uh, it did make that the it did make it so that the t- second technical obviously ejected you know trey young and so it was something where you usually see referees give the guy a lot more leeway when he's already got one tech because ejections don't look good for anybody and including the league including the the referees involved and so you know you see you know you see that across all sports you know where you know especially like in soccer once you get a yellow card like the second yellow card you really gotta earn that second yellow and so it's it's the same sort of thing the technicals are are basketball's version of the yellow card and so it's it, you know it's it was unfortunate. It's something that you know it's it's hard, it's difficult because you don't want to harp on the referees. You know it's, I've never been somebody who wants to sort of break down what the referees are thinking. Referee decisions are sort of this this like overarching thing that's above the game that you can't really like think about or analyze in in a real way for me. I don't you know if you're if you're analyzing how a guy should react to the referees like it's it's just difficult to it's difficult to sort of analyze the referees in that sense is, is sort of my point there. And so I'm thinking that, uh, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but we got, you know, a a half plus a a couple of minutes of, of Young's exploits. We, you know, he was right on track like he was in against Minnesota, like he was against Houston, like he was against Chicago on Friday. You know, he was right on track for another 30, 35 point game. And, you know, we'll see how he can come out against Monday. Obviously he'll be a little bit more well-rested because he didn't have to play the second half. So, you know, that'll be good for, for their chances in Miami on, uh, on Monday night. And, you know, I, other than that, I don't think there's, there's too, too, too much to, to take out of it.
0: Yeah. He was really good in the game, obviously, um, in his small sample, but you know, there's sort of a weird fluky thing. And I, I feel bad for, for Hawks fans to some degree, obviously the Hawks won this game is a little bit, I guess it's a little bit easier to take it after a win, but he had it going again. And that's like, you know, it was definitely clear that fans, Trey's now their guy, which I totally understand. You know, I know that's not really the angle that you and I take most of the time. We're definitely more analytically driven. But fans are now certainly rallying around Trey Young as, like, their guy for the future. And with good reason. He is the franchise centerpiece at this moment. So him being taken away from the game for the second half was not fun for anybody on a, you know, relatively prominent placement Sunday afternoon game, etc. Um, Granted, it was the Bulls. But still, uh, no fun there. But, uh, you know, the Hawks get the win. Trey played great. And he can sort of take that one to... Uh, as a motivation, I suppose. Trey's usually pretty good about taking motivation from outside places, so there you certainly go at least that. he
1: says he is. You know whether yes, he he actually, likes to he share that. He certainly will put that on, on, put that on Twitter. Yes, um,
0: uh, know,
1: I don't know how real all that stuff is, but I've never been someone who does. You know, reacts to things in that sort of way. So maybe he's just you know driven by that sort of stuff.
0: As long as it works, man. He's been great. So yeah, uh, keep, keep it coming, obviously. All right, let's finish with two more things here. Not quite as sexy as Trey Young, but two supporting pieces off the bench that had interesting games here. We'll start with Jalen Adams first. He played more because of Trey Young. Uh, we mentioned him a little bit early on with uh, with regard to Herder and all that fun stuff. But Adams with 26 minutes, he shot the heck out of the ball with four of seven from three, 14 points, four rebounds, four assists, and uh, by far his best game as an NBA player. So what would you see from Jalen Adams?
1: Yeah, uh, that was... It was interesting he played well individually but and then obviously the the team got just killed when he was on the floor so like how you balance those two things is sort of difficult you know he was you know minus 16 in the second half when you know because they were up by 15 and then Herter and Bembry went plus six on their own and then the team only won by five so you know they were up 15 when Young got ejected and then you know so he was minus 16 in the second half he played well in the second half he shot the ball really well he was fine it just seemed like the fact that they got killed when Adams was replaced young in in those minutes sort of shows us a little bit more about who you know who Jalen Adams is it's hard to you know it's hard to want to kill the guy because he played well like in the role that he's not used to playing he played a ton in that second half way more than he you know usually would and you know played 17 of the of the 24 minutes in the second half basically and and it's it was unfortunate that that he was had to put into that you know that circumstance, and I thought he played he played fine with the caveat that he's not very good, and so anything better than not very good was going to be a positive.
0: Yeah, uh, this it's a one game sample, so I don't want to get too carried away. But here are the on off splits. Obviously, plus minus is one thing, but in this game, the Hawks had a one thirty three point three offensive rating without Adams on the court, which is obviously incredible, and most of that's Trey Young um but th- even defensively the hawks had a 97.9 defensive rating with with Adams with Adams off the court with him on the court they were still really good on offense 122 offensive rating but a one sorry uh, a 10 sorry i'm reading that wrong they weren't they weren't that good on offense 103.5 offensive rating and a 122 defensive rating so defensively the hawks are bad with Jed Adams on the court which is not be not a huge surprise yeah, obviously Trey Young has no great shakes in his own right but Adams might be worse which is yeah, that says kind of says well, all you need to know about that defensively. And, you know, I, I do think that individually him showing some flashes is a good thing. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't want to make too much of that. But him making shots is what he has to do to remain even on the periphery of the NBA. Is he's got to make shots. That's his biggest thing. And he made shots. So, shots to him on that. But it wasn't a huge... Surprised to see the Hawks not play well with him on the floor. On the floor, there's a reason why you know his individual numbers for the year plus minus wise are not great, and that's because he has some flaws and teams take advantage of them.
1: Yeah, and and the fact that he you know his his on court plus minus flaws are are you know relatively. Skewed toward the defensive end on the most part. Obviously, his on-off numbers are going to be terrible because he replaces Trey Young most of the time. And when you know when Trey's been on the court, the Hawks have been you know pretty solid. So when Adams replaces him, obviously his, you know his on-off numbers. You can't read too much into those just because of who he's playing behind and he doesn't get to play with Young as yeah. much. Though they have experimented with that a little bit. Um, and you know, that's not that gonna ups, work at any point. <laughs> no, that's not gonna work for any point at any you know th- at any juncture. Is that uh, is that going to be defensively tenable? You know, it's barely tenable to have one of them on the floor defensively so it's definitely not going to be you know good enough to have both of them you know so it's the fact that they were able to play well when both young and Adams were off the floor getting back to Herder makes me more makes me curious about where where Herter can go as a primary ball handler we talked about the Bradley Beal sort of comparison a little bit earlier you know somebody else in this Bulls game was Zach Levine he, you know, Herder is is con- the Zach Levine comparison is also sort of there. Obviously, the the athleticism is a little bit more skewed toward Levine, but the the sort of the basketball IQ, the fact that Herder can pass a little bit better, or a lot better, really than than Levine can, especially than Levine could in his rookie year. When when Levine was in Minnesota, they gave him down the end of the year, they gave him a ton of like primary pick and roll possessions, just. Just use them. Do whatever you want with them, but just get the reps under your belt. And it was something that you know helped Levine obviously to be the player that he is now. The fact that he's more comfortable with the ball in his hands, he can run a pick and roll, he can score the you know he can score the ball at all three levels. And he's he was the guy who came in and was just a shooter and an athlete. And then they gave him a bunch of opportunity, and now he's this you know overall scorer. And obviously Minnesota is not reaping those benefits because they traded him and then you know whatever all that stuff, but he's reaping those benefits obviously with a massive contract and the fact that he's been the bull's best player this year he's you know th- there's the the comparison to herter and the fact that they can give herter a bunch of those kind of possessions in the next you know 5 5 to 6 weeks the fact that they can do that and not necessarily care about how well it goes but just give him a bunch of reps i think would be more interesting than giving jalen adams a bunch of reps just personally you know i just don't think that there's a, the the upside on Adams is that he's, you know, a really good three-point shooter, and then that's it. Like, because there's not a whole lot else to explore upside-wise for him. He's never going to be uh, even a below-average defender. He's too small. It's just not going to work. He's not, you know, he's never going to be, I, I, certainly he's never going to be a positive on that end or even really a neutral, I would expect. And, you know, the the rest of it, whether he's not, he's not as close as Herter is to being a, a primary ball handler, and if you can get a primary ball handler out of Kevin Herter at his size, with the fact that the Hawks are obviously way more invested in Herter, you know, as a first-round pick, as somebody that they've got under contract for the next four years, whereas you know Adams is just a, the rest of this year and partial guarantee next year, it would make sense to me to give the ball more to Herter over these next five weeks than it would be to you know try to develop Adams or see you know where Adams is at over these you know just just in the short term while while the, the the games don't necessarily matter as much, and you can get of those reps.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're, they're going to play Adams, but I agree. I think Herter and Bembry on the ball is more interesting to me as a future-facing exercise, and we've seen some of that. But, I mean, they're going to play Jalen. We'll see how much he plays. But I, I do think that the other guys just are more intriguing for the future. So prior, prioritization there is kind of, as you said, uh, as, you, as you said it should be down the stretch here. Um, last guy that I wanted to ask you about is, uh, the debut of BJ Johnson, who was lights out from three, at least he was three for three from three. That's, uh, obviously a big part of his game, 11 points. I mentioned before that, uh, he was on the floor actually for, with Adams at, at some times and actually Johnson had a worse individual defensive rating in this game than Adams did, which is just sample size noise. But, um, what'd you see from him aside from the good shooting, which is something that obviously Travis like, uh, always likes and values. Does he look like an NBA player to you? It's a very small sample size. That's one. It's basically you know 20 minutes or so. But um, I, I guess i pretty good. I, I I can't imagine a better start. That's probably the best way to put that.
1: Yeah. I mean, you can't if you had to make a decision. Is BJ Johnson an NBA player based on what we saw on Sunday? You would say yes.
0: You'd have to if, to if you didn't know anything else and just like turn the game on. It's like, oh, all right, who's this guy? And just you have to evaluate that guy off 20 minutes. You would say yes.
1: Yeah, you would say this kid is a is a normal part of the, of the Hawks rotation because he was in this game and he played well in the minutes that he was out there and he was you know obviously his his numbers you know his, maybe his defensive numbers weren't quite at, weren't quite as good in in this game but if you were just watching it he fit in a way that you know even. You know, even some of the guys who were on the team, he fit more than Adams fit. For for example, you know, he he fit out there as a as a shooter, as somebody. You know, even his first bucket was not was not a three. It was something he came off a DHO. I think took one dribble and pulled up from the from the free throw line. So. That was a nice part of his game that was not necessarily advertised as part of his, his overall package. But, you know, he was, you know, I mean, the, the other three shots were all from outside. He made all three of them, shoots a really nice ball. He's left-handed, which I really like, you know, just in general. You know, lefties are, are more difficult to guard for most guys because they're different because most guys are right-handed. And so, you know, you, you see that Kent Bazemore can get to his left hand a little bit easier than than most guys can get to their, their strong hand because of that. And, you know, I think Johnson has that sort of the fact that he's left-handed helps a little bit. He can shoot the ball, obviously. That's his biggest thing. The, the bigger thing in terms of how he's going to stick in the league is the fact that he's six foot seven and listed at two hundred pounds. Like that's a real, like he's a real like forward-sized, wing-sized player. Whereas you know a guy like Jordan Seibert who was. Playing probably having a better year in the G League because he was shooting a little bit worse from three, but was getting twice as many attempts up because he was just he was able to get his shot off more reliably, but he's only, you know, six foot four, six foot three, something like that. So you can see why the Hawks were not necessarily excited about keeping Seibert around. They've got a lot of guys who are six three, six four and can play that sort of shooting guard position, Basebore, Bembry, Herder even is a little bit taller than that, but you know, he's he's more of a guard as well. Johnson is more of a forward. He's more of a, of a, you know, at six foot seven, he's more of a Torian Prince type player than he is a, you know, a DeAndre Bembry type player. And so it's, you know, I think if he's if he can shoot and at that size, if he can just like adequately defend his position, that's an NBA player.
0: Yeah, I mean, and obviously we have to say this is a very small sample size. We're going to see more, but what you saw was good. And you know, shots to him for taking advantage of the opportunity because you know normally. You wouldn't see a 10-day guy playing 20 minutes, but the way that the stars align with the rotation, with Prince not making the trip because of personal reasons, which I I believe is him having a baby soon, so so congratulations to him. Um, But yeah, just all the stuff that kind of aligns to get Johnson playing time here. He takes advantage of it, plays well. I'll be interested to see if he plays on Monday. Or and if he does play, how much he plays? Because I think he probably will play, considering I don't think Torian's on the trip just yet. Maybe he hasn't been ruled out for Monday yet. But um, I guess with Collins coming back, that could bump some guys down. Like maybe Vince plays some three, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, good. Uh, good to see BJ Johnson taking advantage of the opportunity. And shouts to him. By the way, um, if you are wondering, yes, I did see Justin Anderson played the fewest minutes on the team today. And no, I don't have any thoughts about that. I'm, I'm upset, but it's okay.
1: Yeah. Well, it's he you can see why like i can see why you want him to play more because he's big and strong and can defend but you know with the fact that he can't do anything offensively is sort of why he's been oh, been that's, stuck that's, on the it's bench
0: that's not sort of why that's 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 the reason that's exactly we all why. know that and, that's, that's the reason
1: um you know it's just it was unfor- you know it's unfortunate for him because he you know has some tools on a on a team that valued defense a little bit more he'd be he'd be given more leeway you know you see guys on the hawks who are good offensively and suspect defensively, given a really long leash because they're good offensively and the team is more geared toward that side of the floor. If you were, if he were on a team that was more geared toward the defensive side and would give you leeway, if you were bad offensively, that w- he would get a lot more minutes and he'd be given a lot more leeway in that regard. And you know, it's unfortunate for for him, but he's going to be an unrestricted free agent this summer, so he can find you know a, a home that that makes sense for him.
0: For sure. And uh, it's more of a running bit at this point. I do think you should play more, and I haven't wavered from that. But at this point, it's it's just not going to happen. So uh, we can move on from that. Um, Okay, last thing. The Hawks, as we kind of mentioned a couple times on this podcast, play on Monday in Miami. The Heat are really weird, by the way. Um, They were really bad for a huge stretch. And now the last three games, they've now turned it on to where they beat... They beat the Warriors, which was a kind of a stunning result. They lost a narrow game to the Rockets, and then they throttled the Nets on Saturday. So Miami's now, I guess, hot again. And they had the day, of, and then they had the day off on Sunday. So the Hawks are going to be going in there as underdogs. No, no Vegas line just yet on that one because of the injury stuff with Collins. And um, if Collins makes the trip, that would certainly be helpful. That he would be able to, um, you know. Be I guess somewhat fresh, even though he's been sick. I can't imagine he'd be too fresh, but he hasn't. At least he hasn't played basketball in a while. Sort of uphill battle there. Anything that people should be looking for in that game aside from just the general, you know, Hawks development nature? Because I think for me, it's like kind of it's kind of weird because Miami should be trying. They're trying to make the playoffs, so they should be giving the Hawks their best effort there. But they've also been a terrible home team, so maybe the Hawks can go in and steal a game there, which is kind of weird to say, but they probably could.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the the most interesting sort of well, I mean, I could think the from a big picture perspective, the 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 theme is the same that it's been all year, which is just development, development, sure. development, and just seeing what you know what comes from the the young guys, what comes from Adams and BJ Johnson, and and you know the the other guys who don't get to play as much because of the the way the the injuries have, have sort of worked out for for those guys. The, from a you know individual tactical perspective from this game in particular you know i think going against miami zone will be really interesting you know they'll have more opportunities to to run things that they don't get to run against other teams they're, they're sort of their normal double drag at the top of the the key thing is not going to be something that works particularly well because of the way that you know Miami's just going to switch that as they play the zone across as Trey Young sort of traverses from from the left side of the floor to the right side of the floor they're just going to pass him off as as the zone does and so it's not going to be necessarily as effective so what are the hawks going to do against that you know are they going to do a, a four out one in is it going to be a three out two in how are they going to you know exchange with the guy at the free throw line all of that sort of tactical stuff about going against a zone is going to be really interesting to watch you know i think that offensively is is what Sort of matters from this game in terms of you know how they attack a zone. The, the zone is sort of up in usage across the league. The the Knicks are running it, the Nets are running it, Miami, Toronto. You know, a lot of teams are are running this zone look this year more than they have in previous years. I think zone usage the last time I checked is up like almost four times what it was last year. You know, turn, across the league, and a lot of that is those four teams in particular. But there's, you know, uh, uh, quite a few teams out there who run a lot of zone. Dallas, you know, likes to run or, you know, would run a lot more zone earlier in this decade and has sort of gotten away from it a little bit lately. But, you know, I think that's from this game in particular. If you're just looking for something X's and O's tactically to to watch in this game, when the when the Heat goes zone, especially when Bam Adebayo is in the game and he's able to sort of patrol the middle and, and be real quick and and do everything that they need him to do in the in the the center of the paint. What how the Hawks handle that is going to be super interesting.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree. I'm and I'm looking forward personally to be able to watch a game live for the first time in a week. That'll be exciting. Yeah. <laughs> nobody nobody else cares, but the the podcast um will be I guess more more timely, you know, as we record here at 1:20 a.m. Eastern time and by the way, I apologize if I'm completely out of it. It's cuz I am. I am a walking zombie at this point in time, but Jeff's bailing me out here on the podcast. But yeah, I'm looking forward to that. You know, back-to-back for the Hawks is not usually all that kind. Um, but at the same time, it's a winnable spot. And then the Hawks come home again. Yeah, I feel like they were at home forever because they were. Um, but now this this quick two-game road trip, and they're home for four in a row. So I'll be seeing the team up, up close and personal uh, once again pretty soon, which is uh, exciting.
1: Yeah, I think that'll be fun. And then I'll be uh... – you're coming, I'll soon. be there actually in, in less than two weeks. So I'll be uh, I'll be in the building for three games, I think. So that'll be fun just to check back in with the team. I haven't seen them in person since January, so I think that'll be that'll be nice for me.
0: Yeah, that we'll have to talk, um, and part of that is um, I'm actually going to be gone, which is very nice for me that you will be there, other than the fact that I'm going to miss you. I-, I will see you once while you're here, at least for one uh, one glorious night at State Farm Arena, but anyway, we'll we'll get into that um, far down far down the road. Uh, if you are a new listener, um, Jeff is not always here, but he is often here, and uh, you should follow him everywhere, so please, uh, Jeff, plug yourself, as you always do here.
1: Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at JG Siegel. You can find anything Hawks-related over at Peachtree Hoops. You can find other stuff elsewhere. Um, trailblazers
0: at <laughs> Blazers stuff Edge. Elsewhere. I like that. Uh,
1: there's lots of other stuff, and there's lots of elsewhere. So I gotta gotta get my ducks in a row here. Um, there's Blazer stuff every other week for for Blazers Edge, the SB Nation blog. There, there is cap related things and business of basketball related things for Forbes Sports section. Um, there is. There's a new thing that I teased on Wednesday that came out today, uh, that came out Sunday, today, March third, uh, on the Basketball Writers, which is a relatively new site that's subscription based, and it's a, it's a little bit different. It's like the Athletic, but there's not, it's not nearly as sort of huge, and and there's not beat writers in every city. There's just a handful of sort of high level analysis type people who you know write. High-level analysis-type articles, and that's what uh, that's what their niche is. And so, my first article about the Boston Celtics went up on Sunday, March third. There's that's going to be, you know, maybe every other week, every third week, something like that for the the remainder of the year. And then uh, the big one, of course, is early bird rights. You can find that's my that's my baby. I I built Early Bird Rights from the ground up, and it's my site. And so that's where you can find a lot of uh, the all the salary cap information for all thirty teams, all future draft pick information. Everything you need to know about the salary cap is is up there for for your consumption. Out there, twenty four seven, whenever you you're looking to to access that. And then the the articles tab has. Articles from various, you know, interesting things around the league from from a cap and, and trade perspective, trade analysis of the of the big moves at the deadline. The the latest one is the the Eric Bledsoe extension that came down on Friday. I broke that down for how you know the just the, the various aspects of that from the Bucks perspective, from Bledsoe's perspective, what that means for for their team moving forward. Just you know everything and sort of in general there. So. That's uh, that's everywhere that I'm writing right now, and you know who knows where where things will go from here. But that's all I've got to plug for the last you know three minutes as I plug everything.
0: Yeah, you have a uh, you have lots of stuff to plug, and uh, by the way, I will say Jeff should be uh, read by everyone everywhere. But Early Bird rights is an absolute lifesaver, and people I know um, people that do this full time. Um, that have been on this podcast and elsewhere, uh, now use early bird rides as like their Bible, and I'm one of those people. Um, so that should be something that you just, just follow that away. Um, please go ahead and bookmark that. It's very, very useful. Uh, even when it's not transaction season, uh, even when you're just thinking about something right now, like, oh, I wonder what this player makes in three years. Jeff knows, and it's on the site. So go ahead and uh, follow uh, follow him everywhere. One thing, uh, I guess this is sort of a trivia thing that I just stumbled across that I wanted to do for, uh, for this on the podcast. No prep for Jeff. Uh, So today's game was the first time in a long time that Trey Young did not lead the Hawks in assists. Uh, If I was to tell you that, uh, I guess let me let me just ask you: When do you think the Hawks? When when do you think the last time was that Young did not lead the Hawks in assists in a game that he played? By by the way, he's played every game this season, so he's not like he's missed a game. When was the last time that Trey did not lead the team in assists before today?
1: Um.
0: You're gonna be guessing, I know, but I'm just saying. I'm totally
1: guessing. Before. I'm gonna go with, like, right about maybe the first two weeks of the season, like October twentieth.
0: Okay, not that long, but okay. Um, he uh, he uh, had led them in assists for 17 consecutive games, um, and before that there was before that. This is the stunning part for me. There were two games in a row this season he that he didn't lead the team in assists, and that blows oh. my mind because I don't even yeah. know how that happened. Because he's was. got the ball in his
1: hands so much that it seems like he would just always do it. And that's why I guessed October, because there was a time in early October where they were sort of more egalitarian before they realized, like, oh yeah, Trey Young is really good. We need to get the ball in his hands as much as possible. Once they realized that, they started going to more early offensive stuff that got that kept the ball in his hands rather than getting it out and getting it back to him. So, you know, I think that's why I sort of went with October because that was a time when Torian Prince and Kent Baysmore were more involved in the sort of creation aspect of the offense, and then they realized, obviously, that Young is Young, and they need to give, give him the ball as much as possible, because he can pass better than maybe any Atlanta Hawk in history, but he and Pete Maravich pretty much are the two best passers <laughs> ever for, for the Hawks, and so they, they, they've obviously decided to to keep the ball in his hands a ton.
0: As they should, but yeah, I was just kind of, uh, you're on the, uh, I guess for me, I'm on the uh, Hawks espn schedule page and you kind of scroll down and it's like oh there's young there, there's the name of young like 37 straight times <laughs> it's just kind of crazy to see that on, on a screen just yeah Trey young's assist totals are uh jarring let's, let's just say that uh, anyway we're off the rails i'm off the rails but thank you for bailing me out on this fine evening jeff Please follow Jeff. It's not 1.30 in the morning. Um, My apologies for the late podcast posting, but hopefully for the Monday morning commute folks, this will be in your feed. I will have a new podcast after the game on Monday night that will be shorter, much shorter, and just have me on it probably. But thanks to Jeff, and uh, please subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends. Follow Early Bird Rites. Follow Jeff on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks, and we'll see you guys on Monday evening.